the uh, communications director for the Assemblies of God World Missions. And if you want to know what, what uh, the assemblies are doing in missions around the world, just ask Andy. <laughs> and I am so delighted that uh, Andy and Nancy are here today to honor us and to, to take part in uh, missions and to, to, to just share with us what God's doing around the world in missions today. I want you to give them a wonderful summit welcome and let them know that we appreciate them. Thanks, Pastor. Thank you so much, Pastor. It is a pleasure just to be with you today. It's always a great time. I love this kind of weather. I'm a northerner, pure northerner. I'm much happier when it's below zero than when it's above 80. Okay, so that's how I think. So this is just perfect for me. Um, you know, really, I want to talk about today's message about a world upside down. You know, really, if you could describe one thing about our world right now, it is upside down. We have elections. We have COVID. We've got protests in the street. It is one of those things that you could say the world upside down. And if you have watched that very popular musical that's out right now, Hamilton. Anybody here watch that Hamilton on Disney besides me? Okay, a couple of you have. There's a song in there that they use, and they talk about a world upside down. They didn't write that by the way. They stole it from the Bible. And if you have your Bible, you just got to look back in Acts 17. In Acts 17, Paul and the preachers are, they're, Paul's ministering in the city and they're preaching and it says something very interesting. Paul and Silas are preaching. Intense opposition arose and here's what they are accused of. And it says right there, when they could not find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And I just want to challenge you. The greatest disruptor of the world will always be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can transform a life. Can take somebody who is an alcoholic or a drug addict or in a prison and save them and transform them and, and set their feet on a different path. God has changed every one of us in some form and fashion. And it is only the gospel that can truly change the heart. Amen? But I want to challenge you it is not the world, the gospel turning the world upside down, but really Jesus Christ is the only one who can turn the world right side up. Amen? God is about setting people's life straight. And, I, and Pastor mentioned, yeah, I get to share the stories. We've been missionaries for years. About 2002 is when we went into missions. God called us. Did not, we didn't have any agenda on that. In fact, I'll share a little bit of our story first. Nancy and I were married in 1990. You know, we, I never had any dream, by the way, to ever go into ministry. Never wanted to be a pastor. We use these kind of phrases, I'm a PK, which is a pastor's kid, or an MK, a missionary kid. I'm a CK, which is a carpenter's kid, so I grew up, um, my dad built a uh, seventh grader, uh, you know, I'm starting to haul two-by-fours on my shoulders, that, I mean, I still probably have hauled more two-by-fours on my shoulders than I've preached sermons in my life, that's how many thousands and thousands of two-by-fours I hauled, and I did not want to ever go into ministry, it wasn't on my radar, I wanted to get a dog, move to the Yukon, and hunt and trap for a living, I mean, that's all I wanted to do, I am a trapper, a hunter, I like any kind of thing like that, and I was at my agenda, and God interrupts our lives. And I ended up going to North Central University, which is a Bible school, a Christian university in Minneapolis. Met my wife there. And while I was there, God called me into ministry and pastoring, thinking, God, I don't want to pastor. You know, I want to go to the Yukon. What are you doing? I mean, this is where I want to go. And God guides us and leads us. 
And we loved it. You know, you fall in love. When God calls you, he anoints you, and he puts a spirit upon you, and you go. And so we pastored for years, pastored in Montana. We love it. You know, I, I could look out my church window, and there are the crazy mountains, the snowy mountains, and the little belt mountains. I could go elk hunting within 15 minutes, you know, 20 minutes. I was happy there. And then God interrupts our life again and calls us into missions. In fact, I walked home one day from a mission service this Sunday. I said, I wonder if the Lord is calling us into missions. And Nancy's eyes were like, what? No, you know, we're here. I want to be this kind of pastor that plants and is there for the rest of their life. And it started us on the path of praying. God spoke to Nancy well before me in missions. But I, I probably just was stubborn and didn't really know what to do. And I came over to the church early one morning. It was two, three months down the road. And we, I was pacing back and forth. In fact, I think our church might have had these exact same chairs. I'm looking at these chairs. They're almost that right there. And they're the common chairs we have in all these churches right now. But it was a little different color. And I was pacing back and forth. And I, I had my Bible open because I often read the Bible when I'm praying. And I'm going back and forth. And I, it was 6, 6.30 in the morning. And I stopped. It was right about here. I just know I was going this direction. And, and I had the passage open where people give Jesus excuses. You know the one. I just got some new oxen I can't follow yet. My father just died. Let me go back and bury him. What was Jesus' response? Remember? Let the dead bury the dead. It's like God spoke to my heart right at that moment. and said, Andy, quit making excuses. And so I called my parents a couple hours later, talked to my dad. said, Dad, I'm thinking that God is calling us into missions. And the first words out of my dad's mouth were, why don't you wait until I'm dead first? I am not exaggerating that whatsoever. I was like, um, where, uh, where was that verse? Uh, you know. And you know, we just knew God had called us. And we, we went to Moldova, so we landed in Moldova. How many of you have any idea where in the world is Moldova? I just want to see here. That's about normal, okay, about two people. Most people have no idea where in the world is Moldova. They, I'll just give you a little hint. It's next to Romania, between Romania and Ukraine, okay? I had, had people say, Moldova, is that that country in Princess Diaries? No, that is Genovia. That's a pretend country, okay? Uh, so... We, God called us, I mean, I know exactly 3.45 in the morning, September 19th, when God spoke to me about Moldova, and I walked and woke Nancy up and said, Nancy, the only place we need to go is Moldova, and she said, oh, I didn't knew that six weeks ago, rolled back over, went back to sleep, I mean, she knew God had called us there, and we landed in Moldova, and we loved it. Moldova is not your prime destination, okay? Time Magazine once had it ranked as the unhappiest country in the world. I've always thought... This is a bumper sticker that you need to make. If you have too much happiness, if you have too much joy, come to Moldova and we will suck you dry. I mean, that would, that's really what Moldova's like. It's rustic. It used to be the Soviet Union. I mean, there's potholes in the roads big enough to do water baptisms in. I mean, but we, it was home for us. I mean, we planted there. We have three daughters, um, Alyssa, and her, Alyssa got married a year ago, and she and her husband live in Homer. Uh, Levi is a worship pastor, youth pastor there. Our middle one is at Tulsa University, and she's a junior, probably going to go into nutrition or dietitian. And our youngest, Lauren, is just a freshman at college. She has got a call of God in her life. I say someday she'll be a preacher or a teacher and a theologian. I don't know what God's going to anoint her to do. But when we went to Moldova, they were one, three, and seven. That was it. That was their life. And we hauled them across there, 17 suitcases, and, and we loved it. Ten years there. I'll share some more stories about what God did in our life. But then God called us to Russia. In fact, I was in the States. We were just getting excited to move back to Moldova. And we got a call, and our leadership said, would you move to Russia and help us with 
leadership there as an area director. I don't want to go to Russia. I love Moldova. I mean, it's squatty potties and potholes, but I know where the potholes are, and I know how to use the squatty potties, and I didn't want to go, and I was wrestling with it. I said, I need to pray about it. I need to pray about it. Now, I just have a question here. Is there anybody here who has ever used the phrase, I need to pray about it, though you knew the answer right away, but it was your delay tactic? Anybody here besides me do that? Yeah. I mean, sometimes we'll say, I'm going to pray about it. Hey, we want to pray. There's nothing wrong with praying, but sometimes we know we're supposed to say yes or supposed to say no, and we use that like, God, I want to pray about it. Maybe you'll help me change my mind. Maybe lightning will strike. Maybe something will happen that I don't have to go. And I actually came to Alaska. I was up with my buddies. I had two friends that live here, one out in Galena and one down in Soldaten. And we were up a caribou hunt in the middle of nowhere up north here. And I just prayed, God, what do you want us to do? But I knew I had to say yes. Now, some people have this theology that never say that you never want to do it because then God is going to ask you to do it. You know, that kind of twisted thing like, oh, don't say never because if you say you'll never go to Africa, then God is going to call you to Africa. God is not up there looking for ways to make you miserable. Can I just tell you that? But God does want to make us uncomfortable. Now, I'm going to say in in the end, when you say yes to God, you'll always realize later how blessed it is to say yes to God. But at the beginning, so often we say, I don't want to say yes. And so we went to Russia and lived in St. Petersburg, Russia. So here's a guy who wanted to move, move to the Yukon. Now I've got 9 million people in my city. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's just we're living in apartments. But I fell in love with Russia. I did. The pastors, the leaders there, they're just amazing. I've been to every corner. I was with the reindeer people above the Arctic Circle, got on a snowmobile seven hours out into the tundra. You just come over hills and over hills and over hills, and finally there's a teepee with herds of reindeer. And if it is not the ends of the earth, it's got to be one more rise over. I mean, that is where God has called us. And I love it. It was in the Muslims and the Caucasus down south, Kamchatka, and east and west and north and south. And I was happy. Then I got a call from our leadership again to say, would you come back and be communications director? And I'm in Siberia. Now, some people think you're sentenced to go to Siberia, but I love Siberia. It is a wonderful place. It's, well, it's a lot like Alaska. And I was there, and I said, I don't want to say yes. I don't want to leave Russia. Called a friend. And Jim said, well, first of all, I think you'd be perfect for the job. And I said, I don't care if I'm perfect for the job. I still don't want to say yes. Then he said, sometimes you have to sacrifice your personal desires for the sake of the larger body of Christ. And I thought, oh, man, that is just unfair. And so I said yes, and we followed the Lord. And it's always worth saying yes to God. In fact, probably that's one of the first things I could say to you on a missions service like this, in a missions message, say yes to God. Always learn how to say yes to God. Because God will keep stretching you and challenging you and pushing you in areas that you don't want. But if you just open your lives to the Lord and say, God, use me in whatever way I can. I was in um, Ivory Coast with a missionary. He was talking about going up north and visiting some church planting. My job right now, I'm in all corners of the world, and I'll share some of the stories of what God is doing. But I was with him in in Ivory Coast, which is Cote d'Ivoire right now, and he was talking about how his nation had been split by a civil war, and it really has. It's only ended a few years ago. This country was torn apart. The, The Muslims pulled in from the north. They drove out, burned churches, killed pastors, drove them toward the south. And so the, the, 
the country still is kind of split in that way. The top half is very Muslim. The bottom half is less so. And the churches have such a, a heart to do something now. Now, for years, they hated those. I mean, these are the people that burned their churches and killed them and, and persecuted them. And there was only about 400 churches there, and they disliked them. But God began to soften their heart. They began to look to the north, and they said, we have got to plant churches up there. Now, I'm going to give you the quick synopsis. Is they went from 400 churches now to 2,000 churches, and their dream is to go to 5,000 churches in the next five years. So that's amazing what God is doing in their lives. But Brent was up north in one of these Muslim villages, and they were doing some compassion work. We do that often in missions. You can't get in, so they're in there working on a well. They're putting something in, doing acts of compassion. It's amazing the, the power of, of doing acts of compassion. We've done it in Moldova. We've done it in Russia. You do it around the world, and it just opens people's hearts because they have a view of Christianity, and it's what the television says. You know? Just, you know, I have had so many people look at us and say, oh, you're from America. Have you ever seen a car chase? You know, I go, what in the world are you talking about? You know, just because you see it on television, is not, that is not what America's like. If you looked at CNN or the news and what happens in Washington, that is not typify what most people are like, right? We're nice people. We like one another. We want to have peace. We want to have work. We don't want to just battle with one another. Well, he went up north and he's doing this act of compassion. And the Muslim leader of the village comes up to him and says, Brent, we need you as a church to do your job. And he's going, what are you talking about? You're Muslim. I'm Christian. What do you mean? And the Muslim leader says, we've had Islam for centuries. Our nation is torn apart by war. And Islam could, has never helped with anything toward forgiveness. Our country needs to learn how to forgive, and the church is the only one that can do it. Now, I just want you to picture this. A Muslim is asking for the church to come do their job. Why do you send missionaries? Because there's a world out there that is begging for the church to come to their village, to come to their city, and to share about Jesus Christ and forgiveness. The only thing that can be reconciled. Amen? We have got to do our job. Uh, in West Africa, before that, there's really a radical invitation that comes. When you say yes to the Lord, this is a radical invitation. Missionaries in West Africa, and they were working on these tabernacles. And we, we've done this in missions quite a bit. We'll put up a structure. Actually, within our Assemblies of God, there's a ministry that just does that called Tabernacle Ministry, and they'll go into a village. There's a church already there. They'll put up some walls and a post. That's it. And the church has got to finish the rest of it. But they walk into it with a church and help them because it gets something done. It helps put the church, really a sense of permanence there. So it's an amazing ministry. I, churches get behind it and they probably five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. They put up a tabernacle. Well, this missionary was going into another village, but they did not have a bricklayer with the, with the team. So the other church had brought all these people. They're going to help and they're going to construct, but they did not have a specialist. So he said, I'm going to hire somebody. And he, on the one village down the way, he found a Muslim bricklayer and brought him along with him. So this Muslim bricklayer is in there. And the first day, they got up there and they cleared off the, the area of the field. And they're going to start building some stuff. And they got it prepped and kind of where they were going to go the next day. But they put up some chairs and said, Let's, we're doing an open service. We're going to do a service tonight. And that bricklayer who said, oh, just wait, what time are you going to be done? I'm going to go to the next town. I'm going to do a little, he was going to do a little drinking is what he wanted to do. And the missionary said, no, 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 you have got to stay. You are our special guest. And he put him right there in the front row, right between two of the Christian brothers. He couldn't escape. 
And that missionary, he knew, he says, I knew I, got a, I knew I had a non-Christian there. So I preached and I preached and I preached and I preached. And that guy would not come to Christ. I mean, he, was, he knew the cost and he was not willing to make that decision. We see that all the time, by the way. Every country, you talk to missionaries, they'll say, I know the cost of leaving, leaving my Buddhist faith. Or I know the cost of leaving Islam. I know it's what, even in Russia, I know what it's going to cost to leave my Orthodox, which is really... There, it's like a religious atheism. I know what it's going to cost, and I can't do it. I can't leave Hinduism. It's going to cost me my life. And they, it's a hard decision for them. And that man just sat there, and he said, I can't do it. Well, service got done. They all went back to the place that they were sleeping. It just was a little home. There's no hotels. There's nothing like that in this little village. But they had rented one little home, and everybody was staying there. And it was hot, hot, hot. I... I mean, I go to Africa, I love Africa, but I hate the heat. You know, I just kind of psych myself up for it. It's going to be hot, I'm going to melt, I'm just going to drip, and everything's going to stink, but just live with it, you know. But it was hot, hot, hot that day, and so they all went outside, and they lay down on the front porch, brought their mattresses out, and sleep there. But the bricklayer, he grabbed his and went down by the gate and laid it on the ground there to sleep. Well, the missionary came the next day in his pickup truck and picked him up and they were going to head up to the site, just he and the bricklayer first, because he's the specialist. And he said, how did you sleep? Oh, terrible. Well, why? Well, I was sleeping last night, and I heard a noise, and I woke up, and I looked out the gate, and up the road was, I saw somebody wearing all white walking down the road to me. And I knew it was a king. And I said to myself, why is there a king walking down the road in this African village at this time of night? And he said, the king kept walking up to me and he stopped. And he looked at me and he knew everything about me. And he just said, accept me. And he left. Well, the bricklayers in there were right on the pickup next to a missionary. He says, what am I supposed to do now? And that missionary, who had preached intentionally at him as he sat in that front row, he shared, he said, what you saw was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the Lord is seeking you. And he walked through that thing and he knew everything about you. And he shared the gospel. And the, the altar happened in the front seat of a pickup truck, okay? And that man gave his life to Jesus Christ. Amen. To God be the glory. And God has placed you. It's a radical, radical invitation. Follow me. And the King of Kings is walking down the road, and he's going to look at you right in the eye, and he says, I know everything about you. I know your sin. I know your past. I know everything you've thought or you've done. And I love you, and I'm asking you, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Jesus looked at those men, those fishermen, those disciples, and said, follow me. They dropped their nets, and they followed him. And Jesus calls every one of you that same thing. Would you just simply follow Jesus Christ? I'm going to read a little quote from a wise man of literature, Bilbo Baggins and Gandalf from The Hobbit. Gandalf says, I'm looking for someone to share an adventure in that I'm arranging, and it's very difficult to find anybody. Bilbo says, I should think so. In these parts... We are plain, quiet folks and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. They make you late for dinner. I can't see what anyone sees in them. Gandalf says, you have a tale or two to tell when you come back. Bilbo asks, you can promise that I'll come back? And Gandalf simply says, no, and if you do, you'll not be the same. 
And I love that because it was written by a Christian who kind of understood the call. I'm going to call you on an adventure. The call to missions begins with the call to obedience of simply saying yes to God. And it's a radical step. I want to challenge you, say yes to God. Say yes to God. It's also a supernatural process. Call to missions is a process and it takes some time. And I want to encourage you that we are called to be a conduit for God's grace. That's what we are. We're not just supposed to hold it in for ourselves, but we are to be a conduit. About three and a half years ago, I went to the nation of Iran. I got my visa. You have to go a roundabout way to get this visa. And I, got, I had people say, oh, you need to go. And so I got my visa and I went to Iran and I, I mean, I do a lot of crazy things. So, you know, I, I have, I, Nancy always knows that if you go to the mountains, if you go outdoors, or I, I hope you come back, is what she says to me. You know, okay, so I, I want you to come back, but I, I can't control me doing crazy things. But I was a little nervous about Iran. I mean, this is Iran. I mean, you read the news. So she made me, she said, you need to take somebody else with you. So I took another young guy who was bigger than me, much bigger than me, and taller than me, that... I thought maybe I could outrun him, but I don't even think I could outrun him. Yeah, but at least we would have had company if we were thrown into prison for some reason. And so we went, landed in there, and I got in Istanbul and got on the airplane. And everybody knows, they said, no, go, you'll, you'll love it. You'll be surprised. Okay, we'll do it. I'll trust you. And we got on the airplane. Met these Iranians on the airplane. They said, oh, you're from America, thanks. i got to tell you about You've got to eat this kind of food. You've got to eat this. Okay, that's really great. And we landed in Shiraz, Iran, and got on the bus to go up to the terminal, and this little Iranian woman talked to the guy that could speak English and said, where are you from, America? Oh, thanks for coming. If you're coming to my village, I'll have you over for dinner. And we got to the passport control, and they stamped it, and they said, welcome to Iran. And over the next 10 days, I gave more selfies than I've ever given anywhere. If I would have had $10 for every selfie, I could have bought a rug. I mean, really, it was. They said, you're from America. Thanks so much for coming to our country. I talk to imams. I talk to people. Now, here's why I challenge you. One of the fastest growing churches in the world is inside Iran right now. One after one, one after another, people are coming to Christ inside that nation. And even those that know, they said the whole thing could implode just because of people coming to faith. They're coming to Christ. And I tell people all the time, never let the nightly news drive your interpretation of the Great Commission, folks, okay? Jesus loves Iranians. He loves Russians. He loves every nation of the world. He loves all of us. And we are called to take the gospel to every place. Not just the people we like. Not just the people who speak our language. Not the people who look like us. Who We are called to go to the whole world to preach the gospel. Amen? Go into all the world. I met a, one Middle Eastern man in Vienna. Michael is his name. Michael was one of those that had to flee the Middle East. There was a time, remember two, three years ago, when all those people were pouring out of the Middle East, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Syria, and they came across on rubber rafts, and they, they made their way into Europe. Well, I met him in Vienna. And Michael's story started years before. He said, when I was a young person, I always had a heart for God, but the only God I knew was Allah, so I became a Muslim. Ah, that, that right there is enough to just stop. And that is why we do missions. The only God he knew was Allah. And in some places, the only God they know is Buddha or Hindu gods or the animus and the demons they've got to worship. In Europe, when it's secular, the only God they know is themselves, and they've never heard of Jesus Christ. It's why we go. But he said, the only God I knew was Allah, so I became a Muslim. 
a fierce Muslim. I studied. I even did my pilgrimage. And I was in Mecca, and I heard the hands of thieves being chopped off and the tears that were coming through this. You know, the corporal punishment. You stole, whack, you know. People were wailing, and something snapped on the inside. And he said, this is my God? I mean, this is my religion? This is Allah? And it made something change within him. He became disillusioned with Islam. Now, a little secret, not even that secret, but over the last two, three years, at least even just the Islamists of God missionaries we know, tens of thousands of Muslims have come to Jesus Christ in Europe. They've got disillusioned with their faith. They said, that's our religion, trying to bomb towers. I mean, that's our religion, and people, have, it has snapped inside. So even what the enemy means for evil, God can turn toward good. Amen? COVID, God can wake us up and say, what is truly important? It is Jesus Christ. And it, we need to take advantage of these times because people get disillusioned with everything. Well, Michael got back from his pilgrimage. He got a visa to study business in London. He was studying university there. And he says, I remember coming home one day and this little British girl walks up to me and says, Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. And his culture went back. He said, well, I'm Muslim, turned his back and walked away. Got back to his country, later had to flee, fled the country, made his way across the Mediterranean Sea, across Europe, and his first day in Vienna, the first day, an Egyptian woman walks up to him and says, hello, where are you from? And he said, what country? And she said, oh, wonderful. We've got all kinds of people like you at our church. Why don't you come with me tomorrow? So they made an arrangement, and she met him there at the subway station the next morning, brought him to church, and in that service, the first worship service he ever heard, first time, I always say, tell people, never take it for granted, the amazing worship that you have. This was great worship this morning, folks. I mean, we, it is our responsibility just to say, God, I'm lifting up your name. He had never heard that in his entire life. But as he's sitting there in that seat back there, his life flashed before his eyes. It's like, I remembered, he says, I remembered standing in Mecca, disillusioned with Islam. He says, I remembered all of a sudden that British girl walking up to me and says, Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. And when the altar call came, he ran to the altar and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Amen. There's hundreds of Muslims just in that church that have come to faith in Vienna Christian Center in the last few years because they're looking for something. It's a process. We're all a part of this. It was some Egyptian woman that just walked up and said, we want to come to church with me. I mean, you don't have to be the preacher. You just have to do your part to lead this world to Jesus Christ. Amen? It's also a divine mandate. And this is the scripture I want to end with in Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 speaks to me, and if you've been around the church, you can quote it. You know, Jesus says, these were his last words. Think of this. As Jesus stood on earth, I mean, his last words that he had while he was on earth before he ascended. He said, wait in Jerusalem. You're going to receive power upon you. You don't have to do this on your own strength. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and you will be my witnesses in. And they're connected by and, all four of these places. Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, right? All four of them. They're all connected by and because we are all responsible for all four. Now, if you can picture this. These are the expanding circles, right? I mean, you, you can understand it. These are our Jerusalem. So you could say Wasilla, the valley, and keep expanding this thing out. We are responsible for all four. Now, all, and all four have their own unique challenges. Jerusalem. I mean, it's hard. How much energy does it take to walk across the street and talk to your neighbor? Not a lot. 
But where was the one place Jesus was rejected? Do you remember? His hometown. I mean, it's hard sometimes in our hometown to share Christ with the people that saw us when we were little kids and obnoxious and, you know, and we're trying to share Jesus Christ with them. But it's hard, but we are all called to reach your Jerusalem. God has placed you in this, in this city, in this community. You have neighbors that nobody else has. There's people in this community. It's not pastor's responsibility to reach this community. He only reaches the people that are around him, that sphere. You each have responsibilities. The people you work with, you go to school with, the people you interact with. You have a responsibility to reach your Jerusalem. And I still see spaces. You know, there's, there's, is everybody reached within this city right now for Jesus Christ? No. You all know somebody who does not know Jesus Christ. When I was a pastor, I used to say, tell people, pray, find, think of the person that you would say is the least likely to ever come into this church and pray for them. And I had two names. Before I left Harleton, Montana, one of them came to Jesus Christ. And I always want to encourage you, pray for the people that are around you. Judea. Hey, I love Judea. I call that the city next door that sometimes we drive by on our way to do the missions trip. It really is. But I love, you guys are doing these boxes for the kids in the village. You are reaching your Judea, right? There's other places in Alaska. Samaria. Now you dig into this a little bit, folks. Samaritans and the Jews did not like one another. There was a racial hatred, prejudice. They disliked. I, I, I came back from Russia, and I am amazed at the, state, the status of America right now. And I say, at the foot of the cross, all racism has to end. Amen? At the cross, at the church, it doesn't matter what your skin color, it doesn't matter your background, we are all sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And the church, we need to lead the way. Amen? That's the Samaria. And then the ends of the earth. Boy, it takes a lot. Why do we talk about missions? Why do you support missionaries? Why do you give and send and pray for? Because it's a lot of work. If I'm going to send somebody to Laos, they've got to raise their funds, they've got to fly there, they've got to learn the language, they've got to embed in this nation that is Buddhist and there's no church within 100 miles of them and they don't know a single Christian. And it takes a lot. But it's not more important than your Jerusalem. It just takes some extra effort. That's why I encourage you, if you have never given to missions, if you have not started monthly, I want to encourage you, start giving monthly through the church to missions. Because this church needs to support more missionaries than even they have right now. There's more need out there, and it takes energy to get them there. God has called all of us. When we went to Moldova, one of the things Nancy encountered right away was the issue of trafficking. So Moldova is one of the highest source countries for girls that were trafficked into prostitution. And over a long stretch of time, we, she opened up Freedom Home. Nancy led this. It was a project rescue home working with survivors of trafficking. And I already mentioned I have a wife, three daughters. Even our dog is female, okay? So I'm a, I'm a founding member of the Fathers of Female Support Group. So it's kind of, and I'm clueless about girls. You know, like, why are they crying? I don't get it. You know, what's going on here, you know? And I always think it's interesting that Nancy, through that whole ministry, and I, I was doing church planning and everything else, but this took a huge chunk of my time, and I'd come over there, and I was Uncle Andy, and I just thought, wow, God, there's just not enough estrogen in my life already. You know, now you've given Nancy this entire other ministry. And the brokenness is very deep. I'm going to share a story about one girl. I'm changing her name. I'll call her Amy. So Amy, we found Amy. Somebody found her, passed out drunk on the street in Moldova with a one-year-old child on the ground next to her. When she had been 13 years old, she was sold by her mother. She was trafficked to Moscow. She was forced to beg on the streets of Moscow. 
uh, prostituted, beaten, abused. Out of one of these situations, the baby came in. She got back to Moldova, and that's where we found her. And she was broken, shattered, life. I mean, just no life in her eyes. Kind of like a dog that's been on the street that's been kicked too many times. You know, just didn't understand it. So Nancy had to fight to bring her daughter in. They didn't want her because she was a dysfunctional mom. And she was. I mean, she was an unfit mother. But we brought her into the home. And she would always say, why does my daughter love you guys more than she loves me? It's because we love her. Oh, okay. You know? And it was it. She just did not even understand love. I remember reading the, the chapter in the Bible on Lazarus coming forth. Did any of you besides me ever say, I wish I was there to watch Lazarus come out of the tomb? Anybody ever say that? Yeah. I mean, I want to see Lazarus come out of the tomb. That would just have been amazing, you know, hopping this dead guy come out of there. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is in the King James. But Lord, he stinketh. I love that verse, you know. Don't open that tomb. He stinks already. Well, I tell people all the time, I saw Lazarus get raised from the dead, and his name is Amy. Because one year after being in Freedom Home, she gave her life to Jesus Christ, and I saw a dead person come back to life. Amen? Now, I don't know your stories, but every one of us, I just wanted you to say, every one of us was dead and brought back to life. So it's not like she's unique. If you came to Jesus Christ, you were once dead, and you were made alive. But sometimes we forget it. It happened so long ago. We forget that we were once dead, and God saved us and transformed us. But Amy came to Jesus Christ, and, I, and another year down the road, I mean, she still had issues. This is not a fast process. If you've been broken so deeply, it's a long process to come back to healing. It really is, a lifetime of process. But a year down the road, she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I saw smiles on her face, joy on her face. I baptized her in water. I mean, this was, it was amazing things that we saw. There was one day that we came back and it was like the old Amy was there. What's going on? Well, every time she'd lay down to sleep, she'd hear these demonic voices, suicidal thoughts. You should leave this place. Why are you here? And, and so Nancy and I went back the next day and we prayed. And Nancy looked at her and said, Amy, do you want to be free? Yeah, I want to be free. So we prayed. 15 minutes, no fireworks, no demonic voices or anything like that. But she stopped Nancy at the end and she said, Amy, what do you think? And Amy stopped and she said, oh, it's going to be fine. Oh, why do you say that? Oh, when you were praying, I opened my eyes and Jesus talked to me. Oh, okay, you know, that's good. Now you've got to recognize, Amy has fetal alcohol, she's been beaten, she can't remember things. I speak Russian, I learned Russian, Nancy learned Romanian, she would mix up the languages which way back and forth. But three times in a row, she quoted exactly what the Lord said to her. Nancy wrote it down. I mean, she had staff come in. We wrote it in the front of her Bible. And it was simply, do not be afraid. Do not fear. The demon is gone. Do not be afraid. And when I come back to Moldova, we would have been there in fall, but COVID obviously shut it down again. She's with her daughter, Veronica. Veronica was one when she came into the home. She'd sit in that little high chair and just go, Carne, carne, which is meat in Romanian. You know, we'd give her meat. She was so smart, so cute. She's probably 12 years old now. And we're committed to seeing financially. We're going to support her. And this is what the people that have invested in us in missions for all these years, we're going to see that girl finish school, go to college, and change a generation. But when they come there, they will all come running up and hug. And they will hug me. And they'll hug Nancy. Uncle Andy, you're back. And Veronica's thinking about being an airplane pilot. because Probably because Uncle Andy and Aunt Nancy are always flying somewhere. But when I'm holding them in my arms, I'm holding something priceless. I mean, there's no... It costs a lot. It costs missions money. It costs blood, sweat, tears, hair I cannot afford to lose. I mean, really, it costs something here. 
But when you hold a transformed life in your arms, you realize this is why we do this. I think you said you support 13 missionaries, right? 13 missionaries. Every one of them has a story, and at the end of those stories is a name of somebody. Mine is Amy. But every one of them, there's dozens of names that they've impacted and influenced. And God does the impossible when we are just his servants. I already mentioned, once again, I have daughters, so I'm trying to find them gifts all the time. What can you get them? You know, what do you want to buy them? And so in Russia, there's this little China called Lamanos of China. It's very beautiful porcelain teacups. So when they were 16, we've gotten them a tea set, and it's really beautiful stuff. And I've gotten them teacups here and there for birthdays or Christmas. But if you take one of those porcelain, those fine ones, and you drop it on a tile floor, you know, over there they're all tiled, not wood, carpet, maybe you could bounce, but you get it on a tile floor, it shatters into a million pieces, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's a million pieces. I, I mean, I'm a father. I have glued more things together than I could ever count. Barbie's heads on, little pet shops, you know, all these kind of things. You glue things together. But when it's in a million pieces, there's no gluing that back together. You, all you do is you sweep it into a pile, and you have to throw it out. But I want to go back to Amy's story. When she came in, she was just a pile of dirt. I couldn't do anything to fix her. I couldn't glue it back together. But only the Holy Spirit can. And I go back to Genesis when mankind was formed. And as the Lord says, he swept the dirt into a pile, breathed life into it, and we became into existence. God does that. For that Muslim bricklayer at the very beginning, man, he was just a pile of dirt. He didn't know, he couldn't confess, he couldn't give his life to Jesus Christ. But God swept that brokenness up, breathed life, and there was a Christian that was in that village because of that moment in the front of that pickup. Michael, who is so shattered and broken and disillusioned with Islam, had no idea, had never heard the name of Jesus. He came to that church just a pile of dirt. That's all he was. And God breathed life into him. And Amy, wow, I saw her resurrected from the dead, in a sense, you know. And she was so broken. And that's really what I just want to challenge you. None of us have the ability to change a life but we all are just simply conduits that offer Jesus Christ to people. That's all we can do. There's a world desperate for answers. Last story. This goes, is already spanning over decades and is still to be written. When I was pastoring in Montana, we had, I mean, this is a small, small town, 1,000 people, 2,000 people in the county. Okay, this is rural Montana. Our church had grown 125, maybe 150 people every Sunday. It was, we were, it was, it was wonderful seeing people come to, come to Christ, getting saved. And We had a, an old couple in our church who used to be egg farmers. I think that's what you call them, egg farmers, egg ranchers. I don't know. They had a place that raised eggs, okay? They raised, had chickens and sold eggs. And they had retired and given over to their son. And, but they lived so modestly, Jim and Beulah, and they loved missions. And one day, we had a man come and preach at our church. He was a missionary. He and his wife, they were missionary associates. So that's a lower budget. He wasn't a pastor at that time, but he was a missionary associate, and he was going to Vietnam. Now, he's older because he had fought in Vietnam, and he hated Vietnamese. But the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to go back. So they preached at our church, and we met afterwards and said, hey, how can we help support these guys? And so we did. We picked him up for support. Our church was small. We, I had to move them a long ways. We got them up, probably $50 a month. And I think it might have been Jim and Beulah that gave some extra. It could have been Lou Miller, the, the founding rancher, that gave some extra. Nancy and I kicked in. We all did. We gave something extra every month 
to support these guys in missions. We added a new missionary. And so the missionaries went. They went to Vietnam. Like anything, it's hard to do. You have to, you have, to have a platform there in many of our places. So they opened a coffee shop. And they had a coffee shop, and that's where they talked to people, share Christ. It's Buddhist. Well, there was a Buddhist girl from outside in the village, never met a Christian in her entire life. And she went into the university and started studying, but she was struggling with English. So somebody said to her, why don't you go over to this coffee shop? They'll practice, and you can you practice your English. You can help get better in English. So she said, okay, I'll do that. Went over, met these guys, Jerry and Barb, and struck up a friendship. Went to a church service one time with them. Saw these people playing worship and raising their hands and thought, these people are crazy. They are insane. You know, She had never seen that before in her entire life. And so, um, but she kept being their friend. And after some time, this wonderful Buddhist girl gave her life to Jesus Christ. And that's what it's about. About a little rancher who said, I'm going to give an extra $20 myself or $50 myself to support a missionary to go to Vietnam. And he shares a, in, a co- in a coffee shop with Jesus Christ. And this wonderful Buddhist girl comes to Jesus Christ and comes to faith. Now, the story's not done yet because she kept studying the Bible. She got back here to the States for a, just some time with some family members over here. Went up to Minneapolis to a wedding. Somebody in their family was getting married and she was the only one in the country. So she went up there. Met another guy. She was on one side of the wedding party. There's this young guy on the other side of the wedding party who was single, and they kind of hit it off, and he was studying at a Bible college up there, and next thing you know, the two of them are married, and in March, I sat across the table from them, and they interviewed to go into missions, the two of them. They want to go to the Middle East. They really want to go to Yemen. It's closed right now. And so I want you to understand, there's some girl or some young guy in Yemen that someday will hear about Jesus Christ because this young couple is going to go to the Middle East, learn Arabic, and share Jesus Christ across the table from a Muslim young man or girl that had never once heard about Jesus Christ. But it backs it up to a missionary who says, I'll go back to Vietnam, even though I hate those people. And it goes back even farther yet to some rancher or egg farmer who says, I'll give some extra money so we can send these people to go. Do you recognize that the story is not yet ended even? Because I believe at some point there will be some Buddhist young man or young girl in Yemen who will hear about Jesus Christ. And they're going to give their life to Jesus. And I don't know, maybe they're going to end up being a missionary to Argentina. I don't know where it goes. But all I know is we each do our little part. Amen? And God's calling you, do your part to see the church established around the world. I'm going to pray for you in just a few moments, but I really want to just encourage you. Um, ask the Lord. Before we even joined, we were praying together with a group in pastor's office, and I had sim- my simple prayer was, Lord, open the ears of every person here that they may hear your voice, not Andy's voice. You know, Andy's, I can tell stories. I've got hundreds of stories of what God is doing around the world, but I want you to hear the Holy Spirit's voice and what the Lord is speaking to you. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you about finances. You know, maybe that is an issue. You take offerings. We, our heart is often seen where we spend our money. And I want to encourage you, if you have never given to missions every month, start right now. Talk to pastor afterwards. He will give you ideas of what it is. But you need to send missionaries around this world. Maybe it's about praying. I am telling you, I, nothing happens without prayer. My ability to heal Amy's life was zero. I mean, I, I couldn't do anything. But people prayed, and God does the impossible. Amen? We pray. Let the Lord wake you up in the middle of the night and intercede. And we're praying for breakthroughs in the Buddhist world, the Hindu world. It's hard right now. We need to pray. Maybe the Lord is speaking to somebody about going. 
Maybe you're going to go for a year or two years or the rest of your life. There's people that have gone when they're 20 and then some will go when they're 40s, some when they're 60. But if the Lord is speaking to you to go, go. And if you're a grandparent or a parent and your kids feel called to go, don't talk them out of it. Release them and bless them and say go. Don't talk, try to get them a, a better job. Just say go and we bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know. There's an old phrase as a pastor. That as a pastor, we're often called to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Okay? So I just want you to think that through. I'm comforting some of the afflicted here. You know, I want to comfort you. Maybe and I shared Amy's story that you, you're broken, the past is there, you resonate with it, and you're hearing a voice all the time that says you could never do it because of your past. I want to tell you that voice is not of God, that is of the devil. And the Lord looks at every one of you. If you are a son, and a, child, a son or a daughter of him, God will anoint you to do the work that he has given you. But I'm also called here to make, afflict sometimes the comfortable. We get very comfortable in our chairs, and, and we don't care about the world. And we look at it and we read the news and say, oh, I hope a bomb blows up in Iran. But I just want you to know God loves those people, and he loves every person. So I want to pray for you as we close here today and pray that God gives you courage. Would you just bow your hearts right now and bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to ask just a simple question. Actually, I think I'm going to ask two questions here. I really feel like there's a couple of questions here I want to ask. One is, how many of you right now, just with a lifted hand, say, my world is turned upside down, and I know it, and I need God to meet me here today to set something right. It could be sin, it could be a situation, it could be health, it could be family. Just lift your hand up. Thanks, 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 thanks. And if, the, if you need the Lord to set your life right side up, if it's accepting Jesus Christ, we're going we're gonna to close here. I want you to find me or pastor. We'll pray with you in counsel. There's some leaders here in the church that can walk you through it. If it's a, a heavy need or a, a miracle you need, just know that the Lord is able. Amen? Nothing is too difficult for him. If he can raise the dead, your problem is not too difficult for him. And one of the things, even though we don't always have an answer, that we, don't, we keep praying and we know that the Lord is with us. Yea, that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He is with us. So I'm going to pray for that. The second question I want to ask is, how many of you here today say, I need the Lord to stir me to make me a little uncomfortable. And Andy, as you talked, as you shared those stories, as you spoke of being used of God and how God has done miraculous things, just almost despite missionaries, you realize you've been playing it safe. And you just say, Lord, I want you to stretch me. I want you to change me. Make, me, make my heart not just so self-centered, but give me courage. If that's you, just hold your hand up, just for me to see. Thanks, 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 thanks. I'm going to pray right now over you before I turn this back to Pastor. Lord, across this room here today is all kinds of people from all kinds of walks of life. And Jesus, I ask right now that through the power of your Spirit that you may sweep a sense of courage into the heart of every person here. Lord, I pray that faith may arise within them. Those that their lives are, right now, they just confess, my life is upside down. I don't know, it's family or health or job or just the circumstances around. Lord, I pray right now that you may grant them courage to grab a hold of your hand 
that even when everything is dark and black around us, that we can grab hold of your hand. And the stories of missions almost just are stories to build faith within us that nothing is too difficult for God. So God, if you can heal the blind and raise the dead, you can reach us in our deepest needs. And Lord, I also pray for those that responded, that just said they needed courage. They need courage because they're comfortable. Lord, I pray right now that we may step out of the boat, really. We'll walk on the water that you've called us to do. Even if it doesn't make sense, we will take heart and we will say yes to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that our first answer will always be yes, that you grant us courage. And so, Lord, I pray it right now upon every person here, those that responded or didn't, I pray that the, the Spirit of the Lord will rise up within our hearts. That instead of the spirit of fear that this world is preaching right now, that everywhere we're inundated every day on the news or in the media, that spirit of fear, instead there'll be a spirit of courage. Lord, you said the church will go forward. The gates of hell will not stand against it. And so, Lord, I pray right now that a spirit of courage will be upon this church that its greatest years will still lie ahead, that hundreds and hundreds of people will come to faith, that you'll use each person here, Lord, that you'll anoint them, anoint their words, that you'll give them opportunities even this week to minister to somebody. Lord, I pray that they may have courage, but also that they may transmit that courage to somebody else within this community that needs the peace of God. And so, Lord, right now, I just ask it in the strong name of Jesus. You're our peace, you're our strength, you're our strong tower. And Lord, we say yes to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.